Hey, it's Sean Fennessy. We've got something special cooking on the Prestige TV podcast. I'll be recapping one of my favorite shows, HBO's Barry, every Sunday night with the writer, director, star of the show, the great Bill Hader. We'll talk about the show's wild twists and turns, its special brand of dark comedy, and how it all came together. So on Sunday nights, immediately after a new episode airs, you can hear Bill and I break it all down on the Prestige TV pod. Subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. On April 3rd, the Walt Disney Company will be hosting its annual meeting of shareholders, and we need you all to vote for your board. It's important you vote only for Disney's 12 nominees using the white proxy card. Do not vote for the Tryon Group or Blackwell's nominees. Learn more at VoteDisney.com. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right, we are here. It is Monday, April 25th, and uh, we're going to do a tale of two cities today. We're going to look at the hell week in the streaming world where Netflix absolutely crashed and everybody is wondering whether these streaming services can ultimately survive. At the same time, the numbers are actually pretty good for movie theaters. Not great, but movie theaters are coming back at least a little bit. So we're going to get into it today with Lucas Shaw, my Monday morning quarterback. He's going to talk about the state of Netflix. And then we're going to get to Chris Longfield, who is a research analyst at a company called Fanthropology. And they did an interesting study on what people are thinking about movie theaters. So we're going to do both and we're going to get to it quick. I'm Matt Bellany and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, the head of the media group at Bloomberg. And I think Hollywood is still really reeling from these Netflix numbers of last week. Uh, the stock is still way down. It's lost about two thirds of its value in the past six months. Real questions about the future of the economics of the entire streaming business. You've written about this a lot. I've written about this a lot. And one aspect that has fascinated me is this sudden pivot to advertising that Netflix is making, where after literally a decade of saying, never, 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 we will not have advertising on this platform, all of a sudden it's like, well, we're going to have ads and we're going to launch it in a year or two and we'll figure it out. What do you think the ad situation on Netflix is going to be and how are they going to create an ad business out of nothing in a year? One thing that's important to keep in mind, which I think some people have, have confused, at least in what I've seen publicly, is it's not like you're suddenly going to get ads in your current Netflix feed. They're talking about a separate tier, much like with Hulu, where you can pay less money and, and have advertising in it. And there's a belief that there will be some people who will want to, to do that because it's cheaper than Netflix who don't currently pay for it. And, and maybe even some current Netflix subscribers will shift and do it. Um, as for the actual mechanics, the only thing that they really said, and I, I went back and looked at the transcript, 
again, was, you know, they've been reluctant to get into that business because they felt like there was no way that they could compete with Facebook and Google and some of the big players there. And if you if you look closely at what they're saying, they're suggesting that they're going to be just a publisher, sort of like someone who sell who who publishes the material but relies on someone else to do a lot of the hard work. Um, and so who exactly that partner would be, I'm not sure. Uh, but it seems like they're going to rely on other people who know better how to do the mechanics of of advertising and just focus on the fact that they have a big audience with a lot of stuff that people want to watch. I think a lot of people will shift from current subscribers to the ad tier just because Netflix has gotten so expensive that people who are price sensitive may say, hey, I don't mind watching ads. It's just like regular TV. And you can fast forward them probably. But do you, mm-hmm. I mean, the experience, do you, do you have do you have the ad tier on any of your streaming services? I used to have it on Hulu and it was horrible and I got rid of it. Exactly. So I have it on Hulu and I really don't like it. And I like Hulu's programming. I think it's a, a pretty sleek service. But when I'm watching the latest episode of, of Atlanta, for example, and I spend like seven minutes of it watching ads and they're kind of the same ads over and over again, it's a really frustrating experience. True. Um, I just think that when you do the law of economics, people like free, people like cheap. And when you're thinking about how many streaming services you subscribe to, uh, people are going to choose that lower price tier. But the question is how ads are going to come about. Because, you know, one a friend of mine who's very smart on this stuff texted me that to remind me that Reed Hastings was on the board of Facebook. And he has a lot of ties in that Silicon Valley community. I bet Facebook Google, maybe even Amazon, a lot of these big tech companies are probably pitching Netflix, just saying, hey, turn your ads over to us. You know, we run YouTube. We can make Netflix ads work for you. Do you think they will partner with some kind of a big tech company? They'll partner with some kind of ad tech company, whether they go with one of those kind of those giant media concerns. I'm, I'm like, I would have a very hard time imagining them partnering with Google because YouTube and Netflix, as Netflix moves into uh, video advertising, YouTube and Netflix are in are, are huge competitors in that sense. Um, Facebook, others, you know, I need to know more exactly about how their ad networks work. Uh, there's also the possibility of sort of a third party like the Trade Desk. I'm sure this is where someone who is savvier in in advertising tech would come in and tell us why we're a couple of knuckleheads. Yeah, um, Michael Nathanson, the ad, the analyst, suggested the Trade Desk as one of the possible partners, and that makes a lot of sense too. You know, I, I am also not an expert on the on ad technology, but one thing I do know is that. For the past decade, as Facebook has you know come under fire for some of its stalking and data harvesting technology, Netflix has always been very clear that they do not collect a ton of information about their subscribers. I mean, Ted Sarandos has told me specifically, you know, we don't even know if you're a man or a woman. We only know what you watch, and we don't try to harvest more data. Now, that's obviously all got to change now, right? Well, though, that's one of the interesting questions in this, right, is so Netflix has always avoided not just collecting a lot of data on its users, but sharing viewership data with anyone. You know, they have their internal metrics, um, some of which I, I and others have reported on. They have what they publish, you know, on a, on a weekly basis with these charts. But if you're selling to top advertisers, they're going to want to know not just gender, but age, location, interest. They're going to want as much information as possible. And if they start to share that with advertisers, they're probably going to also have to start sharing that some of that with creators and partners. And this could open the door to a lot more information about Netflix viewership. Now, it won't give us the full picture because I'm sure that they they will try to avoid sharing anything for their their paid or the the ad free tier but we we could get a real look at Netflix data in a way that we haven't before 
So because I watch Is It Cake, I'm going to start getting Duncan Hines ads all over. You could get Duncan Hines ads. You could, I don't know, you, maybe you'll, you'll get an ad for a new bunt pan, uh, you know, an at-home mixer. There, there are some real baking needs that I, that I have, but I, I haven't watched Is It right. Cake. Right, yeah. Oh, it's pretty special. Um, although I am a person that watches Is It Cake, but would never in a million years make an actual cake. So they're going to have to really correct for that in their technology. Well, I will make you a, a cake for the six-month anniversary of your podcast. Excellent. Thank you. Um, all right, Lucas, we're going to transition here from the hell week for the streaming services to whether this actually helps traditional movie theaters. We've got an analyst here who just did an interesting study, Chris Longfield. We're going to talk with her. All right, we are here with Chris Longfield. She is the head of research at Fanthropology, which put out a very interesting study this past weekend that looked at some of the sentiments around movie going. I mean, as everyone knows, movie going has been absolutely decimated by the pandemic. Um, it's slowly but surely coming back. We've had some pretty encouraging numbers the past few weekends, but still nowhere near the benchmark of 2019, where it was billion-dollar grocer after billion-dollar grocer. So we thought we'd have Chris on to chat about the results of the study and look at the future and whether movie going can improve. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. So where are we in the state of the box office recovery? And what does your survey show? So what we are showing right now is that um, 18% of the casuals audience uh, have now jumped to 31%. And that's moving from the category that we've talked about as being hopefuls, people who are really thinking about wanting to go back, but not quite ready. So these are casual moviegoers that were not coming to movies and are now doing it. Yeah, we're starting to see a really big movement from about six months ago. Um, and so I think that's really a great sign going into the summer blockbuster season. Do you sense, you know, you guys got a lot of attention in October, November about saying that about 8% of moviegoers pre-pandemic were likely never coming back. And is that still true? That's still true. We have seen a couple points tick up there as well. It's at 14% of people who describe them as likely lost, uh, who describe themselves as likely lost. Um, so yes, some of them are likely lost, but I think also we're seeing a lot of people start to move into being more likely to view films on the other side. You know, So you've got real division there. I think the other thing that's in affecting those likely loss is inflation. 52% of people in our study said that inflation was causing them to go to the theater less often. So that's a longer term trend that will probably impact theaters really even after the pandemic feels over for everyone. It seems like there's this dichotomy developing of cost conscious people who prefer to have the streaming experience and then people who are looking for a more premium experience in theaters. Is that what the data shows where the, the theaters will be rewarded for creating a premium experience that will keep people um, coming back? Or do they need to just start discounting and make going to movies cheaper? Now, there's a split. There's obviously a group that would like movies to be cheaper, that would like concessions to be cheaper. But we're also seeing that a lot of people are saying, if you make it a premium experience, I'm willing to pay more 
for that premium experience. So it's about perception of value, not just the cost. Yeah, one of the interesting things I saw was this this idea of theaters shifting to more of the concert model where they're selling merch, they're hosting tailgates for a Spider-Man movie. They are, you know, more, uh, they're treating movies more as an event rather than as a commodity. And that would come at a cost. And you do think that people are, would be willing to pay extra for those kinds of things. 46% of people straight up said if it felt like a special event, they'd be more likely to go, you know, and, and they're not just talking like premium experience They're They're talking, oh, were they going to be guest speakers? Were they going to be, um, is it going to have a party atmosphere? What it, what is the feeling that I get in the theater? Are there examples that you, that you've seen either in that you've already seen in the theatrical experience or in kind of related experiences that that would be easy to mimic? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're talking about merch, and that is surprisingly something that people are tremendously interested in. Like I saw Spider Man opening night, and all I got was this lame T shirt. Not this lame T-shirt. They're like, if you, in fact, um, something that was super interesting, I thought, was that um, now 65% of people are like, yeah, just put merch. I'm excited about merch. And then it goes up to 74% if it's limited edition merch. And that's part of the larger limited edition um, trend that we're seeing across retail merchandise in general. But honestly... I would totally be there for that opening night t-shirt. There are definitely a lot of movies where I would just impulse buy something immediately after seeing it. Yeah, it's pretty silly that when I take my kid to Universal Studios and go on the Minions ride, you exit directly into a gift shop full of Minions merchandise, but then you go to see the actual Minions movie and you exit into a boring lobby with nothing available to purchase. Now, I'm not saying I... Love that. I mean, having to buy something for my kid is not ideal. But like, if I was Universal or the theaters, I would absolutely want something there for kids to buy when they come out of the movie. And think about what that does for fandom. If you get somebody to take one more step in fandom, if you're getting them to buy a piece of merchandise, that makes them feel, you know, that's that sense of commitment. I've chosen to buy this uh, T-shirt. I am more of a fan than something I wouldn't buy a T-shirt for. And that's that fandom is something that you can um, bank on in the future. I mean, when producer producer Craig, when he goes to the Viking movie this weekend, The Northman, he wants to come out and like buy something like a sword that he can recreate the naked Viking fights. I could see that. Honestly, I could see that. My son would love that. He's silently sulking. Um, All right. So this is this is all great. I think that that we are heading into a really interesting period where there's going to be a total shakeout of low performing movie theaters. The business will absolutely shrink and become more of a premium product that appeals to people who want that extra experience. Um, And I think that your numbers show exactly that, that if the companies that can provide this are going to succeed. I think we've always been looking for a little bit more innovation in theaters and there is really a reward for that now. Um, I don't know if you saw the the Sinopolis uh, theaters said that they were going to offer a um, like a, a self care sort of theater experience. And honestly, I'm kind of down for that. Sometimes I walk out of my house at night and I'm just like, I just need to have a couple hours where no one is talking to me. 
Wait, so you you like watch the movie with like a mud scrub on your face or something? I think they have like a like a little kit where it's like I think a moisturizer and stuff, and it's just like you know what? I'll take it. They understand why I'm out at the movies sometimes. Sometimes it's just to leave the house. Hmm. All right, thank you very much, Chris Longfield, uh, head of research at Bang Propology. We appreciate you coming on and giving us your insights. Thank you for having me. All right, we are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction of what's going to happen in the world of entertainment. Craig, did you see the bad guys this weekend? I did not. You did not. I I avoided that one. My wife bit the bullet and took my kid. Um, <sighs> what did she think? She said it was horrible, and he said it was amazing. So there you go. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> bad guys came in with $24 million, which means my I took the over on the $15 million tracking. So I'm going to claim credit for that one. I got it right. Uh, $15 million on the tracking was pretty low. I think they probably should have set it a little higher, but still. See, we need to get Vegas on this tracking thing because every damn studio just lowballs themselves. We need to see the Vegas lines. They do. I try to correct for that. I try to call bullshit on some of their their lowballs, but um, sometimes it sneaks through. And I think this one was always going to be a little higher. The loser of the weekend, I think if you can call it a loser, I did not have high hopes, is the Northman the naked Viking movie, which <laughs> came in at uh, 12 million on a, a budget of, it cost 90 million to make. They got some tax credits, so it went down to 70 million, but that's not good. I think it would have done a lot better if they just called it the naked Viking movie. At least they could have gotten a little bit of uh, the the naked Viking fetishist crowd to be interested. Maybe on in the poster, you just have a bar over the, the the middle section of all the Vikings. I, I only saw the headline. I haven't listened yet, but I think Sean Fennessy did a whole episode on the naked Viking fight. I think he did. All right, and they also the Nick Cage movie, the kind of meta massive talent movie, did not do great. Eight million. Um, but that's pretty much expected. I think that was a little bit weird if they thought it would do better. But um, sorry for Nick Cage. All right, let's move on to my prediction. My call of the day. I think if this sale of Twitter goes through to Elon Musk, I think you are going to see celebrity after celebrity, a lot of Hollywood people swear off of Twitter. I think there is such animosity towards the prospect of Elon Musk bringing Donald Trump back on Twitter about bringing some of the trolls and the bots and all the other uh, stuff that they've tried to clean up over the past couple of years that even though the Hollywood people love the Twitter, love the platform, I think you're going to see some public defections. If you tell, if you show me somebody who says that they're going to delete Twitter, I'll show you a liar. Uh, we'll see. I know it'll be tough. I mean, there are a lot of these celebrities that have really raised their profile from just being Twitter people. You look at like, you know, Judd Apatow or Ava DuVernay or some of these Hollywood people that have really raised their profile because of Twitter. It will be tough and maybe they'll quit and come back. But I just think that there's going to be a toxicity around this where um, if Trump is back dominating the conversation on Twitter, um, people are going to be, they're going to feel like they should resign. I think they will feel like they should resign. I, I have trouble believing they will. Or at least maybe they'll delete their public account to look <laughs> good, but they'll keep their burner. Yeah. What's it called? It's a, a Finsta is your mm -hmm. fake Instagram. What is a what is your burner Twitter account called? I'm not sure there is a, a name for it. I think it's just a burner account. Yeah. Or your egg. Your egg Yeah, account. Kevin Durant's got like 300 of them. Oh, he does? Yeah. He's, yeah, he's famously known for having burners. Has he, has he been outed? Like sometimes oh, you yeah. feel like people get outed for this stuff. Oh, it's widely known. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, that has been the call sheet, and that is the town. I want to thank Lucas Shaw. I want to thank Chris Longfield for coming on. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.